So, uh, Dustin's the most equipped to be a real John Rambo type out in the field, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's I wouldn't me. mess with him. Why you gotta put that on me? It's not us. I yeah. tell you what, though, if I get stabbed in the legs with this sort of like, uh, tension driven, uh, set of stakes. I'm not walking out of there. Well, I'm not pushing forward, dummy. I'm walking oh, backward. Oh, yeah, cause you're losing, oh, you're bleeding out. I'm not, yeah, I'm, and I'm not, that no. hit an artery. Oh yeah, your femoral's right down there, bud. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a bad day. It's you a don't very just pull that out. Yeah. Well, and, and the way he's walking into it, instead of even like natural reaction yeah, to pull the thing out, you would walk backwards, <laughs> not forwards. I'm just saying. I mean, that's probably uh, that's probably the effect, though. Yeah. Like I'm, honestly, that's probably why he's walking it's, forward. It's, it's just kind of nuts. It's probably his the, the fake legs. Yeah. I, I'm just I'm, anyway. I'm just sort of taken aback by that. It's a wild, wild gag. Yeah. Um, you know how much John Rambo looks like a woodcutter in the woods? Like, this ought to be a fairy tale, I, but it's not. I forget how much I like Stallone in this before he... Look, it's, it's Stallone before I started doing steroids. That's what it is. But I really like pre-steroid Stallone. I forgot how pretty he was. Yeah. He was pretty. And still jacked. Oh, yeah. Still in great shape. Yeah. He had yeah. a good, lean, muscular frame rather than the roided-up version yeah. you get later. Well, you know, he used to have cheekbones. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And he no longer does. I like or a I, neck. I like how open he is about it though. He's very much just like I'm not a I'm not an athlete. Yeah. But I'm still like look, it, it's okay that I use steroids to maintain this. I'm not competing. I'm yeah. just being I had to pay me. the bills. It's a performance yeah. enhancing drug and I'm in, improving my performance on the screen. <laughs> I don't know if it worked that a, way. Stop or my mom will shoot. Sometimes you start Ooh. being buff and you don't want to stop. Cobra. Oh. Um. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we talk silly, and we talk about the movies that you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is First Blood, not known as Rambo 1, but everyone knows it as Rambo 1. In fact, Arthur's voodoo uh, list on uh, the interwebs that we use to watch this film does not list it under the Fs, but rather under the Rs, because uh, it is the Rambo movie that starts them all. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And, and yeah, you mostly see it as Rambo colon First Blood. Well, we got that franchise thing, right? We had Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now we have Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And yeah. we had uh, Star Wars. Now we have Star Wars A New Hope, right? Yeah. So we got that franchise treatment on the titling. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's just weird. You don't you, you only see it uh, um, when you look it up online. It was it was rare to see it packaged that way with right there on the, the art. You got to plan ahead, and it's Harry Potter and the and the and the and the. <laughs> You, got you to. get a protagonist, and you got to settle in. Now, it may have something to do with the book. Actually, ends uh, with uh, Mr. Rambo dying. Spoiler alert! Yeah, when he kills uh, Dumbledore. So I imagine that's where that title came from. If, if they had, you know, realized that before the eighteen drafts that Stallone did on the oh, script. There's so many drafts of this movie. This movie almost got made so many times with so many different people. It's in it. weird for me to think about Stallone as a screenwriter, but really, he was. He was an excellent screenwriter I mean, in the seventies. I mean, he wrote Rocky. He wrote this. Did he not win the Oscar for Rocky? I'm pretty he sure did. he did. Think. I'm thinking he won it. Sure not he just nominated, but an Oscar-winning screenplay writer with Spike Lee. I mean, you know who else has got one of those? Who's that? Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. You know who else and has got Matt one Damon. of those? And Matt David. Thank you. And uh, the 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 Fairley brother. Well, that's where I was getting there. Yeah, you beat me to it. And, and, <laughs> and a that uh, Man- Maganella, whoever wrote it with yeah. him. Uh, Lip. Lip, Lip's, uh, Lip's grandson or whatever. <laughs> So, little shit. lip. It's, yeah, look, it's not the best praise. Bottom lip. But you know, you're right. I mean, it, it was a heralded screenplay. Yeah, but not a cool club. Actually, you know, Woody Allen. Um, so I, yeah. it's not a cool club to necessarily be in, but he's, you know, in a, yeah, but you know, you gotta, you get your Jordan Peele's in there and then you're like, okay, well. 
There's some. It balances some, out. There's, there's some good. There's after some, 80 years of these awards, they balance. Right. There's some cool cats. I'm in there. just saying that we tend to think of Stallone as something of a meathead, but the man can read and write he and has depth. and do so in a way that the screenplay gets read by other screenplay writers, and they vote and they voted for that one. Well, so I go think, figure. I think that's the the interesting thing about Stallone's career, and we'll probably talk about this more as we get into it. Arnie's always seemed kind of comfortable being a meathead. Like mm-hmm. he. You can tell he wishes he got better roles. Like, you wish he, he could have gotten past the accent so he could, like, do some more stuff. Uh, but he seems comfortable that Stallone has always seemed to, like, be mad at the conception of him as a jock because he's always playing, like, really clever characters. It's because of those sad, sad, sensitive eyes. He's got great he eyes. Man, Wonderful always, eyes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really, I mean, the prettiest eyed man in Hollywood. No, no I, I mean, when we were watching the movie, that's one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, man, this guy's eyes emote so much empathy for this character. This is the man that made a sequel. Made a sequel. Didn't do the original, but made a sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a sensitive guy. The, the, the sequel that's all about Travolta, like uh, his character making it to Broadway. There is Stallone a, contains multitudes. An alternate universe where you know we had full-on auteur Stallone in the eighties, than, than rather than blockbuster Stallone that yeah. we got. Well, you know, my brain just did a whole thing when you started make, talking about John Travolta's Saturday Night Fever, the sequel, which I didn't even know existed. Yes, so I'm staying alive. I've got to see this movie because now I'm thinking about like diverging the careers of John Travolta and Sylvester Stallone, in which Sylvester Stallone is in Pulp Fiction and has that okay. renaissance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't think he's good. Man, I want that to happen, though. I do, too. Here's, here's my hot take. Travolta is bad in Pulp Fiction. Not great. No, he's pretty terrible in it, honestly. He's doing an accent that he doesn't like stick with. He gets an Oscar nod um, nomination. He loses yeah, to Hanks. That's how the careers work. For uh, Forrest yeah, Gump, they, right? They wanted to give him the comeback. They really did. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad performance. He's just not... It's not the performance oh, that signals a comeback. Yeah. And look at the back half of his career, and I think that tells you the math. Puts the nail in the yeah, coffin. Bingo. Yeah. Well, Go from but, that to Broken Arrow and... In- in case you're tuning in real. for the very first time, we though, should probably tell them what we do here. Yeah, huh? we, we don't just talk they Hollywood minutia and create our own private head cannons. What we do, we do like doing that though. We, that does happen. It is part of our our shtick here at the uh, Good Trash Donner Cast. But our bread and butter is that this is not a review show; it's an analysis show, and that means there are spoilers. So if you are tuning in for the first time and you have never seen First Blood, um, we're going to spoil it, but not yet. We will give you a reprieve. We'll have synopsis, which will be spoiler-free, we hope. Um, sometimes it is, especially when Arthur writes it. And sometimes it's not when other um, chuckleheads write it. Uh, then we will get into our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which will let us uh, know kind of what we think about the movie, which will generally stay away from spoiler territory. We'll expand our syllabus, and that will get more spoiler-generous. And then a heaping helping of spoilerage on your plate will come when we get down to business. So you have been Warned. The thing where you were yelling at the listener and telling them that they're they need to put on their grown up pants because uh, we're we're done we're we're gonna give you spoilers right up at the top now yeah that stick didn't last long you don't like yelling at people I don't I don't I don't I'm well, not. it's not a good look on you he's a look. sensitive soul he is you though know, he seems thick skinned I I well I just I I hide it well it's all but if you look in my eyes no, you see the pain no deep, I can see it buddy he's got those big Stallone eyes yeah, you're you not fooling anybody but with them beautiful brown eyes don't, God, uh, I've so seen them big doe eyes <laughs> all right Arthur. 
Tell the nice people at home what the fuck happens in this movie in case they didn't watch it. A 1982 adaptation of the novel with the same name, First Blood, was a major box office success, paving way to a five-film franchise with the newest entry, Last Blood, opening today, time travel. In 1982, box office success, Sylvester Stallone was hired to star in what would become a $125 million grosser worldwide, topping the North American box office three weeks in a row, dethroned by Creepshow, which we tackled way back in 2012 dethroned by creep show wow wow That's, what a wow. world it also opened uh right head head to head with halloween 3 season of the witch yeah it did you saw that too yeah huh? <laughs> uh, while traversing the uh, oh wait uh, Stallone stars as John J. Rambo, Vietnam vet and war hero. While traversing the Pacific Northwest in search of an old army pal who he discovers has passed away, Rambo crosses paths with the small town sheriff, William Teasel. Teasel sees Rambo as a disgraceful vagrant and arrests him for vagrancy and resisting arrest. The local PD opts to torture the quiet Rambo who suffers from PTSD. Rambo is pushed too far, though, and escapes the police department, setting off a manhunt that brings out the state police and National Guard. His former commanding officer, Sam Troutman, also shows up, warning the police that they have no idea what they've unleashed. Rambo defends himself and in doing so brings a small war to the town of Hope, Washington, before ultimately surrendering to Troutman. Yep, that's what happens in the movie. Very, very good, very good. Um, so, uh, without any further ado, we're going to talk about this movie. William Teasel is such a great name for such a, you know, hate, movie. odious, odious sheriff. You know, um, Bill Teasel, William Teasel. That's actually my fet life name. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm making, I'm it's making that up. It's a lie. It's actually Richard Teasel. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I got it. That's <laughs> move, good. That's clever. Moving. Yeah, honestly, really though, it's a good fet life name. <laughs> We're being real. Oh my gosh, what do you guys think about this movie? Oh. I'm going to you first, Dalton. I had never seen this one. Uh, this is a. Uh, I think I'm the only one at the table who hadn't. Uh, yeah, the action connoisseur has not seen. Rambo. You know, here's the thing about hey, a lot of movies. A lot of movies. Here's the thing about '80s action movies. Most of the action's pretty dog shit. Uh, because in the '80s, uh, all the great in quotes action directors thought that uh, all you needed to do was put a big explosion in the background, and that made it a good action set piece. And that's not really how it works. And I feel like uh, Rambo's early beats are incredible, electric. But the third act action beats in this movie are not fun. Uh, so it kind of. Uh, tests my theory when it turns into gremlins well yeah it tests my theory about 80s action is the thing now of course there's great action auteurs in the 80s you got your michael manns your james cameron's your bigelow's getting yeah oh god mctiernan so there's some good ones but those are all for me mid to late 80s already kind of turning into the 90s where i think there's some better in action direction honestly uh so again a blind spot for me i never felt in a hurry to get to it the rest of the franchise is pretty dopey uh from the bits and pieces i have seen as a child so i just i don't know i never had much interest uh but you know I'm, i've been aware for a while that tonally this one's a lot different so i was excited going in and man you hear it's tonally different but that doesn't really prepare you for what a somber quiet film the first half of this movie is and uh i read uh roger ebert's review from back when the film came out uh just to get prepped and he uh he had uh similar uh critiques which makes me feel smart obviously but uh had similar praise uh for this opening first half which i think is just gorgeous uh arthur and i watched uh the first probably 10 15 minutes in 4k before the internet got mad at us uh and oh boy it's pretty it's a pretty movie those uh those, those mountains of the Pacific Northwest I don't know what they're called but uh they're gorgeous 
Uh, I just liked looking at this movie for the first half. And where it eventually goes is so out of sync with the rest of the film that it really kind of made me dislike the movie uh, quite a bit. And that's the thing that troubles me, because I think the first half of this movie is great. Rambo in town, getting arrested, trying to go see his friend. I think all this stuff is fantastic. Uh, Him and Dennehy together are great. Um, I actually almost wish uh, Dennehy was less of a villain, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I, I love all of this stuff. I love how mean the cops are to Rambo. Um, I, 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 there's just something very interesting about it that I don't. I think is maybe a little inauthentic, honestly. Even after Vietnam, um, there's no way that a lot of these cops aren't vets. Like, there's just no way. Uh, so it, it's a little bit unreal how... Well, there's a shot when Dennehy goes back to his office. He's got his Purple Heart well, and, the book, and his service medals. In the book, he's a Korea vet, and yeah. he's all been out of shape because everybody forgot about Korea. Mm. Uh, that's been removed from the film. But yeah, I, I saw that in the, the movie as well, and I was yeah. like, okay, what's that about? So I did some some digging. Um, I, yeah, I would like him if he was less of a villain, and I think that's mostly because I, I like Dennehy so much. His performance is really good. And I think the end of the movie would be more effective if uh, Teasel's character was, like, this much more, like, effectual. He is so ineffective and so not a threat to Rambo that the end of the movie is kind of a foregone conclusion. I know that Brian Dennehy can't be believably a physical match for Stallone, but I think he could conceivably, again, we've got the, the legwork of the character there, right, that he's a vet, too. He is the sheriff of a, you know, not every small town sheriff is bumbling and incompetent. I would have liked a version of this movie where Teasel is maybe a little bit more competent than Troutman. Uh, because when Troutman shows up and Teasel doesn't want him there, by this point in the movie, he just seems like a big baby. He just mm-hmm. has thrown a temper tantrum and he becomes so unlikable that I, I think what good work Dennehy is doing gets kind of lost in that. Uh, and again, that's, you know, that's not a performance thing. That's just the movie they decided to make. Uh, but I, I really. I pine for a better, richer, deeper film. Because when Troutman shows up, he gets really interesting. I like that actor. I haven't seen him a whole lot, but he dives right into the ham. I love it. I love a lot of ham on the sandwich. Boy, he is doing an insane performance that I like a lot. Uh, And those are really the only three characters that have anything to do. And I think the film does a really good job of giving all those characters a lot of scenes. The problem is, this is a film that's quiet and about talking but it's also a Stallone movie from 1982 so by the time we get to the end there has to be an explosion the gods of film have mandated it and it turns into a shitty movie it's not good anymore it's not pretty it's not thoughtful it's not interesting it's kind of badly shot it's just Stallone running around firing a machine gun off and Dennehy on top of a roof looking concerned it's not a well-staged action set piece and again I get it we don't want John Rambo to cut through everybody in the town with a gun that would be gross now, uh, especially in uh, the day and age we live in. But even in 82, it would have been gross, right? You want to like Rambo. That's part of this movie. Uh, so I get that they can't have him, like, shooting a bunch of people, but there needs to be a cat and mouse thing between him and Dennehy, right? And there's just not. It's just Rambo's toying with Dennehy, and it, the movie loses steam and then leads us into a monologue that is really well delivered by Stallone, but is kind of a bad monologue. It's it's a little clunkily worded for Stallone. Um, and like the, the real work that he's doing is all in his body. And, you know, it's, it's a it's a clunky, clunky monologue that is too graphic and weird for the preceding 15 minutes. Like the, the 15 minutes prior to that monologue are so big and arch and explosion heavy. And when it gets to that, it's just the movie's kind of gone off the rails for me. And that's 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 my my final uh in in the coffin right there i I like this a lot especially for probably the first hour i think it's 
damn near masterpiece of its time uh, in terms of just early 80s uh, uh, big studio productions. But I really don't like the last bit of this movie, and that uh, really kills it for me. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? Um, this was my, I'd seen this movie a lot. My dad loved John Rambo. He loved uh, Schwarzenegger. He loved those kind of 80s and 70s action. I mean, how could you not? They're hunky. Yeah. And so, I I mean, these movies, I remember being on repeat as a kid and I couldn't discern one, two or three from each other, you know, but I mean, I I just remember this. I remember parts of this. I remember him stepping out of the side of the mountain, which I think is maybe two or three where he's painted up like the, the wall and he walks out and you don't realize he's there. Um, does that whole Schwarzenegger and Predator yeah. thing. And, uh, so I, I have those kind of memories of this movie, but it's really the first time as an adult, I sat down to watch it. And, you know, I've heard, obviously it's the softer of the three, quieter of the three, more, uh, reflective of the three, uh, original ones. I haven't seen Rambo either, but I've heard it's pretty good return to form in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I, I dig this a lot and I, I, I have a lot of the same qualms as Dalton about the third act. I think the first act and, uh, and, and the work put into it really kind of, I can forgive a lot of that third act because I think that first act is done so well. It's executed so well. Uh, just the quiet performance from Stallone with reading his eyes and his body language. He's putting so much physicality into that role. Uh, I, I think it's a great performance from him. And again, coupled with Dennehy's, uh, cat and mouse game that they're playing i think you know they play off of each other very well then he's very good and you know we've seen him earlier this year in tommy boy yeah. where he's playing a much different character as the kind of over the totally top different goofball well, after he retires from being a sheriff he starts a uh, brake pad business <laughs> and has a son <laughs> i i'm getting too old for this shit can't People wait for rolling into town blowing everything up i got i gotta get into brake pads yeah last blood is uh john rambo coming for the uh, callahan auto parts company Oh, only, God, uh, if only. <laughs> oh, I want it so bad. Um, but yeah, First Blood, I, I, I think it's very well executed. I think the, the script and then the revisions from Stallone, uh, put it together in a cohesive way. And a lot of those themes are very on the nose, you know, the way we treated the veterans from Vietnam and, and how society handled that whole situation, how America handled that whole situation. It feels very apologist in, in a lot of ways, I think, in that regard. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, you know, from a cinematography standpoint, I think it looks pretty good early on. I think just the landscape, where they've shot, you know, they're shooting in British Columbia, I believe. Um, so there's just some great outdoor stuff going on. It just is a gorgeous setting. Um, and to uh, really get out in the woods and kind of keep a good grasp on the lay of the land there uh, visually, I think is really smart. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's 80s, I think, in all the right ways. It's it's strong in all the right ways. But yeah, the third act evolves in a way that feels very uh, derivative and, and kind of sets up what we expect from the franchise and future entries when, when they do become more of these over-the-top action films. And this doesn't really feel like an action film until that third act. It feels much more like a kind of character drama, very insightful, uh, kind of 99 uh, introspective existential piece about well, that's where we are in America in 82. Speaking of film years, I was actually going to say, as soon as you were talking about the end of it feeling very 80s, I was going to say you're, you're, that first half, you really feel the 70s influence on the first half of it this It feels movie. like a new Hollywood movie. Yeah. yeah. It really does. It really does. new Hollywood. Yeah. So as soon as you said mentioned 99, I was like, oh yeah, well, kind of, I mean, it feels like, well, there's a movie I'm going to talk about later that it reminds me a lot of in the first stretch. 
I mean, it's interesting. We'll talk about this a little more later, but just the way that war impacts art. And, you know, we see that a lot after 9-11. We talk about that a lot. I think, you know, we've talked about that probably the most, but we, and we've really never broached the subject on as far as Vietnam or World War II or, you know, the Cold War or those elements, but majorly impacted the direction of our art and, and shaped cinema in, in, in many ways. Uh, and, and so I think for that, it's an interesting relic of its time. I, I like it quite a bit. I think it holds up really well. Uh, as long as you can get to that, forgive the third act, and I, and I can. Yeah, very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am with you, I think, sir, um, regarding my feelings about it as well. I do think it is this amazing, stunning piece of character drama in the first two-thirds of the movie. And I think it's pretty well shot, too. Um, those cave scenes are electric, even though it's just a dude going through a cave. And probably it, not a real cave. No. Well, when, uh, almost certainly a set, and it looks really compelling it really does and it i mean it's weird like it's like a mine but it's also a cave because we've got all this mining stuff that's going on in there and so it's got the wrong shapes and whatnot to it but just sort of take yourself out of that i mean john rambo is handling an m60 in his hand you can't do that it's just not possible um but nonetheless you know that's movie magic can if you bench press a lot and it doesn't have live ammo in it right um well i mean it, it would beat you to death it would Run, um, but yeah. anyway, uh, that being said, uh, you, you, you <laughs> can't the no live ammo. Yeah. yeah, you can't hold them straight. Uh, that being said, though, um, it it is very very believable. I really do understand and believe in the character of John Rambo. Mm-hmm. Also, just in a beginning budding actors watch, I don't know if you guys noticed David Caruso. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, we noticed. Who's the one cop who has any sense? Oh oh, oh we seen him. Yeah yeah, we well, got very excited. Yeah, his I was <laughs> mad he didn't have sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> so that's his first not looking at an explosion when he's hiding. He learns some not look at explosions a little bit better later on in his career, but uh, it's beginning there. Also, Bruce Greenwood's there with him. Um, I did miss Bruce Greenwood. He is one of the uh, the Weekend Warrior um, National Guard guys. Gotcha. Oh my God, is he the one? Is he uh, one of the guys that's like super pumped, or is he? No, he's one of the guys like, no, I'm not going. Oh, that that. <laughs> I gotta go rewatch this movie for Greenwood now. So um, yeah, Bruce Greenwood, um, he shows up, and uh, so that's kind of. I saw fun. his name in the credits, but I never noticed him in the movie. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Um, Hell but yeah. yeah, it's a kind of blink and you miss him kind of moment there before he becomes the great Bruce Greenwood that he is now. Um, but you know, there's a, that stuff's going on that's fun, uh, to watch. But I do think it's a really interesting meditation on, uh, post-traumatic stress and reentry and those kind of things. Um, as well as, uh, just something about police brutality and violence. It's a weird cipher for lots of other stuff and also the creation of one of the most important masculine icons of the 20th century, um, with Rambo. I mean, that's what the word that is used to Describe a certain kind of macho bravado is oh you're gonna go all Rambo on me. I mean it becomes you know a, a catchphrase uh, for a lot of uh, it carries a lot of freight in the public discourse and so uh, just that all by itself makes it worthwhile and I think it's a lot of fun. I do think that third act uh, when it gets into the town I do think it's a little weird. Although I think there may be something more going on. I don't have an analysis here so I'll just mention it now. But all of these shots of him walking down the street with the machine gun heading towards the Dairy Queen and uh, the shot of the Coca-Cola billboard. I feel like there's something there. I just don't know what it is. Ooh, kind of yeah, capitalist well, critique type yeah, thing. Maybe something. I don't know. The, the sort of safety of the small town compared to what we're doing with sending our men and women across you know, seas yeah, to fight wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's a weird sort of disconnect with those images and what's happening in the it's, town. It's juxtaposing the Im- the last time John Rambo walked into a small town instead of Dairy Queens. They had rice patties. I mean, that's that's the, the, the conceit, right? This is America's version of a village. This I is can- the closest thing 
that the Pacific Northwest has is a small town with a Dairy Queen. It may have. And, and not much else. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It, it, Actually it, shot in Canada. So I find that interesting, at least. I think there's, to, a, there's a there there. Yeah. But, but you know, it does sort of devolve into the standard action plot. But I like the monologue. I think the monologue is yeah, well delivered. I, I think it's too. I think it's well placed. I just wish we'd gotten there differently. So I think Dalton's point's well made. The the the, the sort of carnage, and there's not really a body count uh, that goes with what he does in the town. He just blows a bunch of stuff up to mess with Brian Dennehy, um, which, yeah. you know, when you want to mess with Brian Dennehy, you blow stuff up in his town. That's really, <laughs> really, really bothers him. Don't blow stuff up in my town. Um, I don't it, like it also irritates me yes it's a good way to piss somebody off yeah it does it and so he's doing we're not recommending don't do it don't do, because something works doesn't mean you should do it yeah, don't do it people hate it when you blow up shit in their town they hate it so much they're, they're, unless you're a country music singer uh well that's not their town though that's the key uh there you go there it is <laughs> so anyway uh that being said though i think it is quite effective and i do think the delivery of that final movement from the sad somber silent um sort of uh repressed version of john rambo that sort of begins to break out as he goes wild and does what he does out in the woods uh to this sort of angry monologue is a good arc i think it's a good arc and it's a good end to that arc but there is sort of a weird dip in the middle that just sort of kind of makes it a little off kilter but i think it brings it back you know and i think the perp walk when he walks back out wearing richard Crenna's jacket uh is a is a pretty effective end uh to it's what's a good ending yeah. yeah and so i think that all works so i'm a big fan of uh i was gonna say rambo one i was gonna say it wrong first blood first blood yeah. you should have said it wrong you should have committed it would have i would have thought you were doing a bit and i was not no First blood. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases, which are generally pro. I guess now comes a time where we expand that their syllabus. So I'm going to go to you first, Arthur. You're teaching a class about movies or maybe about history or maybe about any number of subjects. But for some reason, you've included on the syllabus a module discussing Rambo First Blood. Um, and you are now going to expand with the additional readings and or viewings that might be part of that class. What class is it? What are we doing? What are we learning, man? I think it's war and film. I, th- I just think that idea is really fascinating and, and valuable study. You know, obviously books have been written on the subject. And, and after eight, each great war, conflict, uh, it has shifted how we do art, whether that's music or cinema or what have you. Uh, and I think in this module, it's it's looking at Vietnam, which... Uh, really impacted the, the the kind of films we were making, you know, coming out of World War One, World War Two, we had a lot of those kind of propaganda type films and later years we started getting a little more nostalgic about that time and the Great War. Uh but when Vietnam came out we had some real pissed off directors who uh who weren't you know happy that they went, that weren't happy with how things unfolded and so I I think that kind of Vietnam starter pack, you you know, you look at Kubrick's full metal jacket, you look at uh uh Apocalypse Now uh, I think you look at the, the oh, oh my God, what's his name? I don't know. Uh, Platoon. Oh, Oliver, Oliver Stone. Oliver, Oliver Stone. Stone. You look yeah. at the Oliver Stone double whammy of uh, Platoon, born on the 4th of July. And Well, if you want to go for the full trifecta. And Stone is the only actual veteran director. I believe so, yeah. The, you are lot. correct. And if you want to go for the trifecta, he's got, um, oh God, what's it called? Far From Heaven. Uh, Heaven and Earth, I think is what Heaven it's called, uh, which is about, uh, is the true story. It's a biopic about a, a woman who was a, a victim of war atrocities uh, yeah. in Vietnam and fled to the U.S. I, I, I mean, I, I watched Platoon, and that's probably one of the most harrowing horror movies I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Right? I mean, it is it is a hard, hard watch uh, and really effective, though. And, you know, that coupled with 
what Kubrick's doing with Full Metal Jacket, I think, is also very interesting. And so, you know, combining all of those together, you do something like John Rambo because you see not only does it shape the the types of war movies and commentaries of film and, and we're, we're making, but it's also shaping the, the way genre film starts to go as well. You look back and kind of see the World War One, World War Two. You kind of see the fall off on horror because real life was a lot scarier than what was on the picture screen. And it started to kind of shape how we viewed those movies. And then I think Vietnam's the same way. We we get different types of heroes. We get different types of uh, stories to tell. And uh, I think that's where you take this course is is that kind of war and film uh, aspect. Fun. I like that idea. I would take that class. What are you going to do, Dalton? Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to mention Dale Dye uh, just right off the top. I think Arthur's spot on here. I think uh, especially going to Vietnam is super interesting. Uh over, over other wars, especially World War Two, right? Because it's all veterans coming back and, like, guys who are already filmmakers and win or guys who were working actors and went and came back and became big stars. And Vietnam's a way different thing, man. It's, you know, you don't have the whole country mobilized, so it's not a lot of people. Um, so I think the ways in which veterans get involved in the film industry after Vietnam is super interesting. I just want to mention Dale Dye, who we've talked about on the show before, uh, but he was the military, like, supervisor coordinator on platoon was his first work but he's a marine vet uh just ended up in the industry was a huge influence on arlie ermy's performance uh i mean he's he was kind of the guy in a lot of these uh, 80s and 90s vietnam movies uh and uh, it's it's interesting to see that the ways in which uh hollywood has interacted with wars especially after vietnam right because you have all these veterans coming back and from world war ii and i promise i'm going somewhere i'm just not i'm not just on a tangent i know how often i am <laughs> uh, but you have you know like there's not an interest in like the emotional life of war right because all of these people making films are veterans so they don't yeah i know what it's like i don't need to talk about it but then in the 70s in new hollywood you got all these fucking art school kids who could afford to go to college like scorsese uh who are deeply fascinated scorsese who was a professor of oliver stone and made one of the films on my syllabus taxi driver based on meeting a young oliver stone and was fascinated with this dude this angry young aspiring screenwriter who just came back from vietnam and was bummed out um and i, I think it's very interesting not to uh for the record uh prop up oliver stone in juxtaposition as a rich kid who could afford to go to art school because you know he dropped out of yale it's i mean charlie sheen's story in platoon's his story more or less uh that there is this interest in the emotional life of veterans uh, in this new Hollywood uh, era of the 70s going on to today. And that's that's what this syllabus is, is it is what, what are these films where we are trying to examine the emotional aftermath of war? Because it does really become more a thing after Vietnam, I feel like. And it's, you know, I think partially because Vietnam's the war where even though we didn't have a name for it yet, we started talking more about uh, what was at the time called shell shock. Uh, which, as Arthur mentioned already when we were talking about Rambo, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, but again, in the, starting in the 70s with Taxi Driver, you have a lot of films that are interested in this this um, hidden emotional life of veterans and what that's like. And I think Taxi Driver is a weird dark mirror to Rambo because Rambo and Travis Bickle have a shit ton in common. Uh, they are uh, both loners. They are both kind of isolating themselves. The difference is... Uh, Bickle's trying to do it while surrounded by the hum of humanity that is late 70s New York, which is a decidedly less placid place to, uh, you know, be coming down from the war. Uh, Taxi Driver is a weird movie uh, because it inspires so much film in its wake and not all of that inspiration is good. I would argue most of it's bad. 
uh, see Joker in theaters this fall. Uh, I don't know if that movie's good. I just want to take a dump on it because it's an easy uh, pot shot. But I think Taxi Driver is like an infinitely fascinating movie. Uh, De Niro's performance, obviously, we all know is amazing. But really watch it. It's a great, great, great performance. And a weird, gross little movie that uh, I think Scorsese was really trying to get at something. And I think it went over a lot of people's heads because he was fascinated with this Oliver Stone type. And so we got to go to movies that really do say, all right, fine, this isn't a dirty New York 70s movie. This is about veterans. So I think in this modern era now, especially in the fallout of Iraq and Afghanistan, we're getting a lot more like interesting emotional portraits. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is uh, The Hurt Locker uh, from Catherine Bigelow. Uh, this will be the moment where we go ahead and say we were wrong. U571 will show up on a, uh, no, I'm sorry, wrong movie. K19 The Widowmaker will show up on a film <laughs> study syllabus. Not a bit. Did that on purpose. Uh, because Bigelow is going to show up on film syllabi. She's a super interesting filmmaker uh, and an action director, uh, but also is interested in macho uh, in the same way that First Blood is. And I think uh, the thing that's so interesting about The Hurt Locker, when veterans talk about it, uh, the first thing that you critique you'll often hear is nobody would act that way. Nobody would tolerate anybody acting that way in the military. And I think that's the point. I think this movie is what happens if you drop John Rambo, uh, that kind of character, this very Hollywood invention, into the structures of the military they don't it doesn't work no no everybody hates that guy the the action hero in war is a fucking butthole uh and when he gets back home he's got the same problems every other returning vet has i don't know how to shop for cereal anymore um so again that movie can be ham-fisted i think it's really good it's been a while since i've seen it though a movie that has been less long since i've seen is the messengers uh we're teeing you up for a little bit of ben foster love here in the back half uh ben fosters and woody harrelson did this movie called the messengers uh that is about uh two uh uh, army soldiers who go door to door and say hey your kid's dead uh that's their job they they have that's their job is to go for the dod go door to door and give the news not Uh, an awesome job yeah bummer of a movie very sad really damn good uh, but even better is another uh, film that I like a lot. Uh, another Ben Foster. Arthur smiled at me because he knew I was going to bring it up. And is Leave No Trace, uh, a movie that Arthur immediately mentioned within like five minutes of watching First Blood together uh, because of these gorgeous mountains from the Pacific Northwest that we see. I mean, it is very visually similar. And that's why I think the class has got to start with Rambo, go to Taxi Driver, and then you get these new ones. And we end on Leave No Trace because it is visually very similar to Rambo. But it's what if Rambo never got in a fight? What if Rambo had a kid and his job was to raise a kid living off the land? Great movie. I'm a big fan uh, of that film uh, directed by uh, uh, Deborah Granick, who did Winter's Bone. Uh, mm. Jennifer Lawrence's big calling card. Uh, I like Winter's Bone is fine. But I love Leave No Trace. I think it's an incredible film. It's one of my favorites last year. Uh, and again, I think is the best film uh, that gets at the stuff that we've been that we're going to talk about in this theoretical syllabus. But I think Ben Foster's performance has so little dialogue, and it's all just Foster knows how to uh, speaking of putting ham on the sandwich. Foster knows how to go big, and this performance tells him not to in a way that I really like because it is a lot of just like watching his eyes. Uh, it's not super dialogue heavy, which I think works because a lot of people who not just veterans but people who have experienced like pretty severe trauma that they're grappling uh, grappling with. Not big talkers, typically. I mean, that's not, I mean, unless they're actively doing the therapy and the work, which this character is not. Um, that's kind of the whole point. Uh, really great performance, really subdued. And I think of all of these films, we don't need Bickle's monologues because their monologue is written by a dude who hasn't been to war. When you make a movie about war, you can't, and nobody who's making the movie has been to war, you can't 
it's got to be in the acting. You can't put it in the words. You just got to trust the actor to do it with their face. I think Ben Foster does a great job, and that's why we end the syllabus there. Dustin, what you talking about? What kind of movies you like? Uh, I, I like I like all of them. Well, um, which ones do you like for this? For this particular assignment, I think it would be uh, interesting to look at the icons of male um, role models, iconography, masculine masculine iconography mm-hmm. uh, through cinema. And so I might start off with uh, 1934's It Happened One Night, starring Clark Gable, Claudette Ooh. Colbert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, Good starting point. Because, you know, one of the major moments in the movie, he doesn't wear an undershirt, and it changes what men wear. And, like, there's there's like a major sort of, like, textile boycott for a little while of Hollywood movies because they're, they're putting them out of business for their undershirt, you mm. know, manufacturing, which you, is hilarious to me. Speaking of pop, the shirt off uh uh, one of the greats uh uh, vin diesel Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of hollywood uh shirt taking offery and uh, enemies of the textile industry you want to know a fun thing about vin vin only pop his shirt off if it's a vin movie this is a known thing doesn't take his shirt off unless it's a vin diesel movie somebody asked him about it one time why didn't you take your shirt off an x movie he's like it's not a vin diesel movie hmm (laughs) i love it that's interesting to me so clearly it happened one night Clark Gable movie. Did a thing. And Clark Gable's, you know, a rapid fire dialogue sort of comedic tech, even when he's doing Gone with the Wind and other sort of movies of that uh, moment when he's a really, really big Hollywood star. He's a very different kind of masculine hero. I mean, he's, 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 he's manly in a, a very thirties kind of sense, but he is chatty. He's really, really chatty. And the, the, that chattiness sort of uh, just tracing some of that, how it sort of, goes out and goes away uh, looking into the 40s uh, Humphrey Bogart Casablanca is a great example here I think to use chatty uh, he is pretty chatty even though he does sort of brood and keep his deep dark secrets moving into the 50s uh, looking at the searchers directed by John Ford starring one great John Wayne not so chatty not so chatty and uh, that begins to begin a milestone that sort of cements the uh, formation of that character and that kind of uh, behavior uh, throughout the rest of uh, the history of this. And so we move from that into what I would say is uh, John Rambo that we would just, we would skip on then to uh, Rambo movies. Clint Eastwood sort of on the way you could go there, but I mean, you've, you've already done John Wayne. So you just draw the line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's really just a connective through line and Rambo does a different thing because there's a different kind of sensitivity there because even though clearly there's some trauma and there's some um, serious emotional baggage a character like John Wayne is carrying that you can sort of read between the lines there's nothing in his performance there's nothing in the screenwriting that carries that freight it's just simply you know he's done a lot of bad things he's a hard man and you know that's just what men do this sort of you know again wrestling and battling demons sort of comes back in the 80s and uh, in the 70s and the 80s well I mean even John Wayne as uh, his his buddy John Ford tried it with the searchers right he's he's tr- trying to get people there but I, yeah i just don't think audiences are ready for no. like what it looks like when somebody gets back from killing people right and, and so there are no tears for a john wayne character i like there are for a john rambo and uh, even though i'm sure tears for john rambo are rare um as a person they're definitely always I that tears present. are rare for a john wayne character because john wayne couldn't cry on camera yeah dollars to donuts i'm gonna make that bet right now yeah glycerin um drops would have to happen it would seem like to me 
But nonetheless, that's the way I would trace that and just sort of the ways in which it's evolved and morphed and, and changed in other ways. And we could think about the comedic leading man. We could think about, again, the action leading man and uh, perhaps even the dramatic leading man uh, in different kinds of ways as well. But um, I would use those, those handful, four or five films uh, to sort of tra- trace that arc of the iconography of what it looks like to to uh, to sort of proscribe masculinity via cinema. I like it. So, fun very times. Very big fan, very big fan of that. I'll take that class. These are good syllabi all around, I think. I I'm not talking about mine. Mine's whatever. I like oh, both of yours. Yours, yours is good. No, no, yours thanks, is good. boys. I wasn't fishing for it. I just, you know, I, 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 yeah, you I can't be too nice to myself. You, you did a good. I'm proud of you. Nah, fuck off. Let's talk about something else. All right. It's time to get down to business. It's business. That's right, and that business is analysis, and that does not involve being nice to Dalton. Yay! Mo- we can be as mean to me as we want. Not as we want. Yeah, no. I guess. Well, no, it's time to... It's the time gloves to, are off. It's time to do the part where we might argue. It's Yeah, it's, it's yeah. time to get down to business. What's, what's this about? Let's talk about uh, this weird-ass production cycle first, probably. Okay, huh? yeah, do that. Yeah, let's get, get into the form, right? Um, Arthur, I don't know how much you read up on this. I did a lot and then forgot most of it, so we're not going <laughs> to... Checks out. Eh, we don't need to belabor the point. There's a lot of versions of this movie, and some yeah. really interesting names attached, one of them being Lee Marvin, was one that yeah. kept getting bounded about for Troutman. A uh, lot of different leads for Rambo. Were, Gene Hackman, I believe, is out there as for well. for Troutman, yeah. Some big names. Yeah. They wanted somebody big for Troutman, and then they got Robert Richard Crenna. Crenna. They had Rock Hudson in as well, but he got sick, I think, or had surgery or something like that and got taken yeah. out. But uh, the, the people they had for Rambo, too, were... Really interesting. Um, Dustin Hoffman was one of them. Like, this what? Is a, there's a lot. There's so many versions of this movie that it really does seem like somebody bought the rights to this book and they just shopped the mug around so they could get it made. And yeah. Somehow Stallone ended up with it. And when Stallone ends up with something, that movie's getting made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude will just now. Na- I mean, because his first movie's Rocky, right? Did it himself. I mean, that's his big myth. He did not do the fight choreography, no matter how hard he tries to convince people he did. Um, I'm sorry, buddy. There's 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 a guy who did it. He he's he's done interviews, uh, but uh, yeah, he gets it, and it's just this different thing. I think. Yeah, I, I, I man, I think that comes back to you know Stallone's writing style and what he can bring from that you know element. You know, I if you come right out of the book, like I already mentioned, you know, both of these characters, uh, Teasel and uh, and uh, Rambo, die in the end of the book. Right, they die killing each other essentially, and Troutman winds up kind of holding Teasel as he's in his final moments, you know. Uh, but I believe Stallone comes in and makes uh, Rambo a little bit softer, uh, decides to uh, keep him alive. There's initially a suicide ending uh, where he kills himself uh, to get out of this production. Whoa! Yeah, I think um, I knew that. But they uh, they went with this more melancholy ending where See, he goes out with Troutman and... stick dynamite in somebody's chest or was that oh, like know. an early version of the movie i've heard i don't know I might so yeah the other element of this is initially there was a three hour cut three and a half hour cut that stallone and i think his agent or somebody sat down with and they were like I, we can't do this so they they got it cut down to the tight 90 minutes and i greatly appreciate that oh it's a tight 90 and i think that's a big part of why we we all love the first half of this movie so much uh with the first two thirds because that first hour is probably trimmed way the hell down, so it is sparse and like the only shit there is no fat on it. And I think that's that's what happens when you let Stallone off off the leash and let yeah. make a three hour movie. And rumor has it, you know, he did seven or eight different drafts of the script as he was working on it, and then we get this as the finished product. And I, you know, I, I think it's interesting from a production standpoint, just how you know how movies get made, and 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 I think this is one of those things where 
the auteurship thing kind of gets a wrench thrown into it a bit just because yeah. so many hands touch this. There's so much mm-hmm. influence well, on the, the script. the director who got it, yeah, Ted yeah. Kotcheff, whose, like, biggest credit other than First Blood is Weekend at Bernie's. Like, he's not, he's not an action director. I mean, he's no. he's, he's a director. Yeah, he knows he's, how to get, he'll get a job Worker for hire and yeah. gets the job done. And I, I think that's what he does here. And, you know, obviously. The job is can you work with Sylvester Stallone? Yeah. And, and Stallone, I think, helps get this finished and gets it out. And, uh, and it also, you know, is another interesting example of, of the franchise taking off, right? I mean, to this point, we really, you know, the kind of franchise action movies haven't taken off, but then we get this and uh, Rocky, you know, kind of coming side by side. Well, and... that's the interesting thing. Uh, way down in the box office, the same weekend this comes out, hanging around around like number 11 or 12 is Rocky Three. Mm. This movie comes out, Rocky Three still in theaters, and it's the first Stallone movie that's not a Rocky sequel that doesn't take a big shit at the box office. It's, he's... He's hurting. Like, I think that's a big part of why this is a passion project for Stallone is he's like, I need something I can tailor make for me, weird movie star that I am. Uh, And I think those are people who have like long lived careers. I'm not saying this is the formula for success, but I think the people that have long form careers like 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 Vinny D, who I've mentioned, they know what they're about. Vinny D only takes a shirt off if it's a Vin Diesel movie. Stallone needed to make a Sylvester Stallone movie because other people didn't know what to do with him, I think, is is part of how we get here right yeah and we, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about john voight and deliverance right yeah. john voight's kind of in a downward downward slide after uh, i don't know where he's at by you know whenever that movie comes out but he needed something to kind of get back in the good graces and they delivered and, and, and i saw him's in that same spot and k19 we did i mean hollywood's just now discovering liam neeson at that point in his career they don't know what to do with him yet and harris ford's on his way out yeah yeah so it's it's weird how how different permutations of of these things happen. Yeah. It does feel like this movie is doing something along the lines of Deliverance uh, quite a bit. You yeah, know? I mean, there's a real sort of a visual palette similarity and the climbing up of the cliff and uh, those kind of things. And and so it's, I feel like it's wrestling with a different set of issues, but I do think it's definitely of of a piece with what we find in Deliverance as well. Well, it's another. I mean, I think it's just another take on masculinity. I think mm-hmm. there's a really interesting shallow masculinity on display in. Uh, deliverance where you've got this very Rambo-esque character in, in Burt Reynolds, who's very macho, very get out there and do it himself, man, man, you know, back into the woods where men belong. And it's all just blowing smoke up of everybody's butt. And, uh, and I think Rambo's kind of the other side of that coin where this is a guy who's very dangerous, but he just wants to be left alone. And he just wants to be, you know, on his own and find his friends. And I, I think it's a much more sympathetic take on masculinity at this point in time. Well, and I think that's it's something that's like really. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Stallone's monologue, and Arthur mentioned that this movie does have like some real uh, Vietnam apologetics to it. Yeah, there the story that Stallone tells those are anecdotal, and nobody can prove where they came from. I read a story about this, and I'm sorry that I'm not smart enough to remember where. Uh, that somebody tried to find where the stories about uh, protesters spitting on vets comes from, like that this this very, I would say like specific like cultural meme that we all have ingrained in our minds about the the fallout of the Vietnam War and the spitting and calling baby killer and it all doesn't that doesn't really nobody can find a time that there's any reference made to it until like years after protests are let long dead and gone. So there there is some debate about how factually true any of those anecdotes are, anecdotes are. Again, I'm not trying to say anybody's a liar, but somebody smarter than me wrote an interesting thing about it. If you Google it right, you might be able to find it. But the important part is, in the culture, this is a zeitgeist that exists. That's what's relevant, right, is that there is a a strain. It's the first time America's mad about a war ever, and nobody knows what to do with it. And I think 
to, to Arthur's point, that's why this film is so sensitive and interested in like what this kind of machismo, like a deeper level of, uh, I mean, Ar- Arthur's right. Deliverance is super shallow in its masculine, like we talked about, but it, that outdoorsmanship of it is definitely carried through in Rambo. But I, I think it is that in the early eighties, in the wake of things like apocalypse now, uh, in the wake of us starting to make Vietnam movies, I think people, uh, or at least people making movies, uh, or people, who are financing people making movies uh, want to change the cultural narrative. Uh, and I, I think it is very interesting uh, how that happens, right? Because it, it, it is so rare that we get an action movie that's this sensitive, especially mm-hmm. in this era. Well, and I think they're trying to diagnose a, a real problem that, that there is after this particular war, um, unlike uh, the situation following Korea and World War II, where we have the GI Bill being taken advantage of, where we have a sort of a, automatic acceptance and upward mobility, you know, for veterans for hire for job positions. It doesn't quite seem to work the same way in experience. And I, I think the, the reasons for that are complex and they're they're varied from every individual to every individual. But generally speaking, there was a l- much larger percentage of uh, well vagrancy, which is the charge that is given against John Rambo, uh a homelessness, drug addiction, uh mental illness and uh, just a higher incidence of those things, or if, if not, um, if not uh, simply a higher incidence of them noticed, um, at least a higher incidence of them in the cultural mind. Well, the addiction thing is very interesting, too, right? Because you have, uh, by all estimates, basically everybody in Vietnam doing heroin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only 10% of Vietnam vets ended up uh, as heroin addicts. And, you know, addiction's complicated. Sometimes it's just environment. You're just on the smack till you don't have to kill people anymore or get shot at anymore. And yeah, then you're fine. Then other people doesn't work so smooth like that. You know, addiction's weird. And uh, again, and as Dustin's mentioned with the war, uh, too many variables to to get into in the show. But but the point but, is, that, yeah, it's part it, of the zeitgeist. But there's a much more problematized veteran uh, yeah, coming out of exactly. Vietnam in the zeitgeist than what you see with World War II, than what you see with uh, Korea. That that much more um, does the cultural conversation talk about those sort of wounded warriors returning rather than sort of you know the heroes who sort of enter Congress and you know uh, you have your John Kerry's and and whatnot that are doing and John McCain to sort of give full political coverage, I guess, uh, leave Vietnam and uh, sort of enter into uh, places of power and prestige and privilege uh, from their position as veterans. But you have a much, again, much more common, at least anecdotal experience of the homeless, wino, um, or just uh, quiet muttering to themselves, you know. Uh, Again, uh, um, what's the principal's name? Principal Strickland in The Simpsons. What's his name? Skinner. Skinner. You know, and he's like, there, there's a very, very prominent episode of The Simpsons that I think about where the, uh, the lines of the Venetian blinds across his face. He keeps talking about Nam when he's yeah. talking to Bart. Well, and that yeah. eventually morphs into, uh, in the 90s, I think by the time we get through to the mid to late 90s, that meme, this idea morphs into John Goodman and the Big Lebowski, right? I mean, that's that idea of the, the, I mean, the, the muttering Nam veteran or the Nam veteran who can only talk about Nam becomes a joke. But it becomes a joke because so many people are you you know talking about their very mundane war experiences, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and that's that's the joke of the John Goodman character. I just want to clarify, right? But I mean that I think that slowly does morph. You have a bunch of dumb idiots uh, who are nineteen years old watching uh, Big Lebowski, uh, their freshman year of college, and that then changes the way we talk about 
that war going forward, right? I mean, it's it's interesting that how it continues to morph even after we get through Rambo. Right. And so, you know, Rambo sort of enters into this moment, and it's dealing with, it, is John Rambo homeless? Maybe. Seems like. He's definitely a drifter. And uh, so there's all of that that's sort of tied up with that experience. Now, before we get more into, like, uh, PTSD kind of – I don't know. Do we have anything to say about PTSD other than it seems like Rambo's got it? It, it, it I mean, sucks, and it seems like Rambo's got it, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it seems to just serve the characters in the story more than really de- you know dealing with it thematically. You know, that the reason he escapes is because he's having those kind of flashbacks to when he was in an internment camp in, in Vietnam and then – Later, you know, the all the war stuff is he he's feeling kind of sent back, but it feels more like a character uh, story beat rather than a fully yeah. developed or thought, uh, fleshed out thematic thread. It is interesting, and again, I'm, I know I'm the one at this table with the credentials to know when PTSD got added to the DSM. I don't actually know, uh, unfortunately, but uh, I don't think that it was in 1982. I'm Not pretty yet. sure it was in three or four. I don't, I don't know. It was, in either case, even if it was, it probably wasn't widespread. So as Arthur mentioned, the, the visual use of uh, flashback imagery is definitely to di- to denote that he has PTSD, but it wasn't, I think, the using the flashback, which, you know, is a very common thing when we talk about uh, the, exper- uh, the experience of people who suffer from PTSD. It's interesting to have it already in Rambo because it's not something we're having complex, like nuanced conversations about, even in like artsier films. Really, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, we will get there, but in 82, we're not there yet. No. So it's interesting. This movie is already a little bit ahead of the curve on that conversation, but you're right. I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of there, there to talk about with it other than uh, how it informs his status as an outsider, which I think is more interesting. Yeah. Well, shall we talk about the police? Yeah, let's, I guess. Talk about the police. I guess we shall. Um, um, I want to begin with this discussion of vagrancy because I want to begin with an anecdote. Um, one time in my life, um, I was uh, living along an interstate in uh, eastern Colorado and a very small town. And uh, I was in charge of some funds that would help people move from one place to another. Give People run out of gas and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was on a call list and I would get those yeah. calls. And... As I was watching Brian Dennehy's character, I have to say that there was definitely some of that impulse that I shared at times, and some of that impulse that I I saw much more, you know, to the, almost to the extent of Dennehy's character, where where you see a certain group of quote unquote drifters, and your job is just to get them down the road and to move them along, yeah. um, because. Trouble could indeed follow, and so I, I I think you know we watched that movie, and then of course Dennehy's um, police officers in inside the uh, the, the sheriff's office um, sort of up it a notch. But the initial Dennehy moment, there uh, I think probably many segments of an audience would be like, yeah, we get that. You know, you might have been nicer, bought him food, and then put him out 30 miles from town or whatever. But really, that's kind of what you do. I think especially in 1982, it's going to read a lot more that way than it would today. And so, again, I'm not saying it's okay, but I do think that it would play sympathetically with a lot of small towns and small town Mm -hmm. dynamics. uh, To sort of just say, hey, you know, this person's not going to stay here. If they did stay here, they're not going to bring anything and uh, save trouble. And so why not 
just help him down the road. Right. Yeah, well, then there's no movie there, right? Yeah, there's no movie. There's at that no. Point. I would love to watch the polite movie where John Rambo and uh, Sheriff Teasel have a very polite lunch together at real, the Dairy Queen. Yeah, real uh, my dinner with Andre style. Mm-hmm. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, honestly, give it to me now. Green, right, leave no trace too. Like, give me, give me, uh, give me this movie. There's no movie there. We have to have this inciting incident. Right. I agree with you, though, that it's bullshit. It makes no sense that small-town sheriff slash Korean war vet Brian Dennehy – I'm just going to call him Brian Dennehy because I like saying his name more than I like saying Sheriff Teasel. Why? It makes no sense that he's this mean. Yeah. It, it does not compute at all, even with the vagrancy, right? Mm-hmm. Even – even if we accept that he like has no time for you know even if he sees this guy and goes that's Travis Bickle I gotta be, and that let's accept this premise right Brian Dennehy's character has seen Taxi Driver thirty times and goes right that's a Travis Bickle I gotta get him out of here well he's been doing this for a long time and he's seen people show yeah. up and make yeah, noise sure. right right and that is kind of the implication right the fact that he doesn't take him to Dairy Queen is insane right it just it doesn't scan. But but I'm with you that yeah there there needs to be a moment where like Dennehy tries to extend the olive branch and Rambo like rejects it right because I think it makes Rambo more interesting and it makes Teasel more interesting right it just makes for a better movie but I, I agree with you that like I think that is the much truer to life experience probably mm-hmm. is is a law enforcement that probably isn't going to be able to really care for a homeless veteran but might give a much longer leash because law enforcement is not known for its uh, not to paint with too broad of a brush, because I know there are plenty of uh, law enforcement uh, officers who actually do tend to the homeless when they can and within their means. There's plenty who don't. Sure. And uh, that is not that is an experience that uh, any homeless person you talk to will attest to is being hassled by the police. Right. But I think, yeah, I think the idea of him being a veteran, especially in a small town, it's just... It Cor- doesn't scan. Of course, of course, Dennehy assumes he's not a vet. He's wearing an American flag. He's wearing like this military surplus jacket, as yeah. far as he's concerned, looking really? like a hippie. You think so? I, I, oh, oh, that makes way more oh, sense. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. how I read it. Yeah, yeah. I read it as, I, I've clocked you as a veteran. No. You better no. get, oh, okay, because no. yeah, hippies. Because I think that's why he's so mean to him. Is that he's makes so much, I didn't even think about the fact that He thinks like, he's disrespecting the flag, yeah, I think. I, I didn't even think about field jackets as a part of counter counterculture dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even think about it, because it's just not a thing anymore it's not yeah. being a thing in their mid-90s really yeah i mean every once in a while you'll see it but I, you did i don't see it anymore not really i no. didn't even think about it. that makes so okay this makes so much more sense for me yeah so he's he just sees this guy as you know maybe you know a former protester kind of guy or at least the kind of person who would start a conversation that would be unpleasant you know for sort of standard you know country yeah country bar polite company yeah. right which with the country bar we see it when richard crenna is apparently drinking brandy in a country bar um weird I don't, choice <clears throat> weird choice weird there. Tra- choice troutman Bra- yeah, troutman troutman brandy, get a bourbon you idiot brandy and cigars at a what country western bar um get a bourbon you dumb dumb yeah nonetheless um so he's doing that kind of thing and again it it's I think again, the audience is generally maybe sympathetic. They're like, okay, you know what? This, you know, I mean, the, he's not he's not being nice, but he's also kind of doing his job, and you know, yeah. In eighty two, you think? I, I think maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think it, it turns until the police officers, um, the guy with the mustache, 
uh, with the deep voice who's going to crack his head anytime he gets a chance. I think that's when it turns into a story about police brutality. For sure. And that's what really turns everything again. And that then he is generally supportive of the, these behaviors of his under, uh, undersheriffs. Yeah, well, and he seems super shocked, right, when he finds out that uh, somebody was getting rough with Rambo. But yeah, it, he it's seems... more that he didn't know. It's, I'm the sheriff. Mm-hmm. I am the guy. That's what it really comes yeah. down more to. And, I, and again, I think Rambo turning around, it wasn't about him turning around. It was about, I told you to do something, and you're not doing That's it. That's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, it, it, it's power trip it's stuff. It's petulant, yeah. Yeah, petulant power trip stuff. Well, and, and again, something you have reminded me of, Dustin, is, you know, I, I I was just thinking about watching this film in 2019 with 2019 eyes, and I, I just don't see the film, right, where a, a cop is that mean to a guy walking around in a field jacket. I just don't see it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it is still there. It still exists. And I, again, I think Rambo's implied homelessness is the uh, the kicking off point. And I just didn't even the jacket totally threw me. And I, I just assumed Dennehy is also clocked him as a veteran at this point. Yeah, uh, and is just surprised to find out that he's a special forces badass. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, I, I appreciate you. You've de- deepened my, uh, understanding of this film. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a line in there where, again, Mustache, the jerk face, uh, I love who, Mustache Man, uh, who falls out of a helicopter, which is awesome. It's gnarly. Um, but Good when, death scene. when they pull the dog tags off of it, goes, oh, look, Johnny Boy here must have been a soldier. Yeah, you're you know, right. listen you're here, right. soldier boy. And, but then we have the fire hose. And then we have, um, you know, the force shaving and we're going to shave without soap because, you know, you're not, you're resisting. He's again, just looking for chances to crack this guy's skull. And it looks like, again, the situation where these guys are just going to exercise whatever force they possibly can. And when David Caruso is there in the back, doesn't want any part of it. And when they go after him, they go after him with M16s. You know, it's this crazy militarized uh, police force that we're looking at here also that seems to be out of hand. The movie seems to anticipate further and further militarization of the police and and seems to say this kind of power trippy nonsense is dangerous, fundamentally dangerous, the way in which uh, authority figures are being constructed in American society. Because it takes a basically a nice guy who's just trying to mind his own business getting harassed. And it just takes one who's a little unhinged for everything to really, really go south quickly. And I think that's one of the strengths of, of this film, right, is that Rambo's kind of a Billy Jack type character. Uh, in that, uh, that seemed, my, my reference not, might not stand with anybody, but you two. Um, but you know, he's, he's, he, he's not looking for trouble. He's just minding his own business, going from town to town, uh, trying to find his war buddies. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, the, the fact that it is so centered on these, uh, these acts of, uh, police brutality um you know reminding rambo of uh, of his trauma by the way uh while we were uh, uh talking uh i looked it up uh the uh, dsm-3 which was published in 1980 is where uh they added ptsd and uh this ties right into the film because it is in large part because of the traumatic experience of veterans seeking treatment after the war that the term post-traumatic stress disorder starts to be used in the 70s largely to explain what's going on with people coming back from war, mm. you know, to put a name to a thing we'd already been talking about for a long time, but been calling shell shock, uh, and, to, you know, broaden the scope to talk about dramatic events outside of war. But yeah, it's, it is in large part, thanks to the experience of veterans that we even have a name for this thing that, uh, is so troublesome to so many damn people. Right. Yeah, uh, you can suffer from PTSD from more things than war, obviously. Uh, lots, basically any damn thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it sucks, and it's really hard to, to live with. And uh, I once had to wait in a line a long time at Starbucks. I'm 
No, so, well, that's a little bit more severe oh, than that. More than that, okay. No, yeah, it's usually a, it's an, it's it, a thing. You'd remember. I, I probably would. You would. Uh, well, and sometimes you don't, um, but that's True. You know, a different form of it. But, again, I, I think the, this ties into why it was so. We, we have entered a point uh, that this film doesn't exist today. I can't picture what... I, I tried really hard to picture what does the 2019 version of Rambo look like, right? What does the film about the the vet pushed by police look like in 2019? And I, I couldn't picture it because of where we have turned culturally, I think. We've had such, and again, this this is right in line with what Arthur's talking about, with the kind of the apologetics we get to in, in the 80s. I can't conceive of what this film looks like in 2019 because I, I can't conceive of the film of a Hollywood film being made that is this mean to a veteran in 2019. Mm-hmm. I I just can't fathom it. Like I, I really, cause I think it would be an interesting movie. I just can't picture what it looks like because there's so much like narrative legwork you would have to do to justify everything that's happening. Uh, and I think first blood does a really good job of respecting Rambo. Uh, mm-hmm. and again, it's in large part because of these apologetics, but, uh, you know, you'll never hear me say there's a good war, but uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be nice to the people that have to fight them because they contribute to society. And sometimes it's something as simple as a lot of them went to therapy and people figured out we needed to put a name to this thing that lots of people experience. Right. And again, it comes back down to just the sort of public reaction to the war and that veterans did not experience. And it's interesting to say that Dennehy's character has this uh, in the novel, this sort of reaction as the forgotten war with Korea. Yeah, it's it's a weird choice. I that think. is a weird choice because I don't I can see why they lost it. Uh, anecdotally, I don't I don't know that to be the case really with Korean vets. Um, that, but beyond that, um, Vietnam vets did not receive sort of the automatic hero- heroism at least because again, people oftentimes did not approve of the war. It's like, well, you went and did a useless thing, and uh, so you know you didn't go and blow the gates off a of Dachau. Right, like you did in World War II with the Greatest Generation or Auschwitz or wherever, and so there's not this sort of automatic heroism that goes in with that, and that vets themselves recognize some of the senselessness of it. Well, because so many of them were draftees, right? I mean, that's a big part of it. It's a mostly conscripted force. It is not a volunteer force that fights that war. Mm-hmm. It, well, I was going to say, even in the modern day, I think with you know. Iraq, Iran, and nine eleven. I think you said Iran. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah. we're not there. Well, I mean the tensions there, though. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we have. Uh, I think you know the soldiers who go there. I think there's a lot more empathy and a lot more anger at the actual government yeah. itself for getting us into this mess. And they saw it as. I think a lot of people saw it as unjustified. And even those that did see it as somewhat justified were like, "Why are we still here?" Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. Part- I think there's a lot more sympathy for for those veterans. Well, that brings up another point of this film that I, I think is really anachronistic and just kind of makes it hard to wrap your brain around is the, the National Guard, right? In the 80s, the National Guard didn't get deployed overseas. But in you know the, our modern era of ceaseless warfare, the National Guard gets sent overseas all the damn all time. All the time, yeah. And I think that's a big part of his, you know. People didn't sign up for the National Guard to go to war. They sent up for the National Guard in case there was a hurricane and so yep. they could go to, you know, tech school. Yep. So I think that's been a big part of, I don't know, There's there does seem to be more balance. I don't know that there's a lot more balance because I, you know, look, I, I see the way that we market things that end up on uh, uh, octagon mats at the UFC, right? We're actively pandering to uh, people who support the military regardless of their status as a veteran. Um, but that aspect of the culture aside... I, I think Arthur's right. I think the response to this war has more balance. And it's probably because it's negative. You know, the, you've got your stop losses. You know, people being redeployed due to the nobody wanting to join the military because they don't want to go kill anybody. Uh, if you know we're ceaselessly at war, 
it's uh, our culture seems to have a much more nuanced conversation with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, especially you know Afghanistan, well with it still being there. It's uh, it's a different. It's just different, and I get. Yeah. I think First Blood is so helpful uh, as a text, despite my really distaste for the last third of this movie. I think it's super helpful as a text for just talking about veterans' issues in cinema mm-hmm. because it's a, you know it's, it's an easy movie to watch. People, it's you know it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's big and dumb, but there's a lot there. So I want to do one last thing before we uh, I sort of open again to the floor, see if there's anything else that we're leaving hanging here. But um, in terms of masculinity, and uh, let's just do a quick little taxonomy. How does John Rambo define slash redefine what it means to be a man in 1982? I mean, efficient distribution of violence, it continues to be the thing. He is he is a bad man, and you don't want to mess with him. He's a one-man army, right? If you push him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the Rambo at the beginning of the movie is a much more subdued quiet. I, I think it's reflective of the masculinity we've seen before because you hear the stories of the men coming out of World War II who bottled up so much. And then just became these stoic figures. And I think Rambo starts that way, but then, you know, he's just pushed too far. And it brings out a different side where, you know, bottling up that emotion is not healthy. And we see that kind of play out here in a way that we don't typically in the past. I do think it's bottled emotion a little bit, but I do think Rambo as a character is much more sensitive than uh, a Clint Eastwood or a John Wayne. Oh, yeah. When, he, when, he's, when he's talking to Delmar's uh, widow, I assume. Is that, you couldn't tell if it was supposed to be his mother or his, his widow. widow. Yeah, I can't, yeah. Unclear. Yeah, well, the, yeah, which one or the other. I mean, there's two women that are there. One's younger, and I don't know. Uh, maybe that's the widow, and then that's the mother that he's speaking to at the end. But she is really suspicious and skeptical of him, and you can see him desperately trying to make friends. It's honestly my favorite scene in the movie. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, well, yeah. top three. But I remember when Arthur and I sat down to watch this opening with that scene just blew my hair back. Yeah. You're right, because it is so – Stallone is emoting in that scene. He, he he really wants – I want you to like me. I want I want us to be pals too. Nothing would mean more to him than to be friends with anybody that was family to his – He's just buddy. lonely. Yeah. 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 Well, and he wants some connection to like he's, – he's the only one left. He's right. looking for some connection to this time where he felt a part of a family, right? And he doesn't want to ride off into the sunset. He doesn't want to go back into the mountains by himself. He isn't John Ford framing um, John Wayne outside the house at the end of the searchers to show that interior and exterior space and indicate that he belongs out there and is okay with it, frankly. Um, This guy has been sort of excluded from humanity because of a lot of what he's dealt with, but he desperately wants to be a part of it. Go ahead. I'm getting excited because you're accidentally teeing me up for what I think this does with redefining masculinity. Go ahead. Well, it eventually does the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It says there's no home for you here. Yeah. You can't go home, Johnny. You can't go home. We won't fucking let you. We will send you to jail before we let you go home. You can't go home because we turned you into something too dangerous. Yeah. And that is really interesting. It is. It is the forced... Society has no place for you, so you must fend for yourself. And that, I think, is where, uh, because it's not the sensitivity that sticks, right? You've got eight years of 80s films to show you that it's not the sensitivity that sticks with what Rainbow's trying to do with masculinity. And I wish that's what stuck. Mm-hmm. What stuck is individualism, right? And that's always been there, obviously, you know, with, with the, you know, John Wayne framed in the door as he walks out at the end of The Searchers. But it's not there the way it is in, like, a, you know... Well, it's a a post uh, zombies being one of the most popular things in the world, right? I think that masculinity goes on to inform the popularity of zombie cinema and zombies shifting more out of horror and more into action. It is the power fantasy of I've been 
cast off from society or society has crumbled. And now I'll, only I and my select band can triumph, right? Mm-hmm. It is that desire for community that says the society won't let you have this peaceful community that you want. And we society will try to take it from you. It, it kind of cements outsider as part of our, our masculine lexicon, right? Because you still have a lot of famous John Wayne performances that are, you know, you got your searchers and your real bravos. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of him being a likable guy, mm-hmm. I, I think, or at least part of the community. Um, and I don't know. I, I think it's very different, right? It's it's that same individualism, uh, that same effective distribution of violence you were talking about, but it's almost like an enforced exile yeah. as opposed to a chosen exile. I, I, yeah, and I do think that's a significant difference is that there, the, the desire for community is a built-in trait, that men want that, and they, that it's natural that they do and seek that out. Um, I think another part of it, uh, I think the new man has daddy issues. I mean, that last sort of embrace scene there with Richard Crenna, and uh, that, that's that's a father and son. It's like a recreation of Rembrandt's uh, Return of the Prodigal Son painting yeah. in many ways. And as I was watching that, as like one of the things that uh, the new man is dealing with and is actually enabled to be open with is this sort of distanciation or alienation that they experience with their fathers. Um, and I think it's one of the first places that we're seeing this really discussed in action cinema, for sure, if not just cinema in general. I mean, we got Rebel Without a Cause in the 50s. And oh, so, sure. I mean, there, there are things, but... But but definitely not something this, like, mainstream. And, you know, Rebel Without a Cause, huge hit, cultural phenomenon, but not, like, a box office hit. It kind mm-hmm. of builds steam, right? Not Nothing that opens at number one and stays there for three weeks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a very interesting, or at least nothing that comes to mind. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I like that. Any other sort of taxonomies of that? No, I think I think we've uh, we've rounded the end. All right? right. I mean, the only thing I want to talk about was drifters, uh, mm. and we got there almost immediately uh, through veterans. So, all right, yeah, I think we done we done did it. Let's render a verdict then. What do we do with this movie? Shelf or trash? As I look at um, Arthur's shelf with the movie there, does it go on the shelf or in the trash, Arthur? That's actually my dad's collection. Is uh, it? that he had had? Uh, so I just kind of inherited. Uh, I used to that. have the VHS trilogy once yeah. upon a time. Now, yeah. does does that go all the way up to? I believe uh, it's got all four. It's got all the all first four. I believe because it says the well. We're gonna say, have to find. Yeah, out. Yeah, we'll look at it after the fact. Uh, that's probably the first DVD release of the the whole set, like as a collector's edition, though. And I may have bought that for him. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, I, I think it does go up to four. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's there. Uh, and uh, I think it would stay there. I, I think this is a shelfable film. I think uh, just the iconicism of, of Rambo himself, but also I think what this film is doing uh, in the guise of a action blockbuster that it became, you know, this doesn't start that way. And I think that that first hour is fascinating to teach, to reflect on, to discuss. And so I'm, I, w- I would easily shelf this film. All right, very good, very good. What do you say, Dalton? Shelf or trash? Yeah, this is one of the best episodes we've had in weeks. Sorry, I didn't mean to peek the audio. Uh, this movie goes on the shelf. It's fucking fascinating. Yeah, it's, uh, as Arthur said, it's like a great text for talking about Vietnam movies. It's a great talk, text for talking about the shifting uh, conception of masculinity within Hollywood cinema. It's just, there's a lot there. And even though I think the last 30 minutes of this is pretty bad honestly i wouldn't even go as to say just fine i think it's a bad action movie it's not even a good one i think the first hour and probably hour and 10 minutes of this is just electric i mean it is i don't there's not a whole lot of movies like this it is you know when i saw uh, leave no trace last year i was like i can't think of any movie like this that i've seen 
well, it's Ram- it's first blood. I almost just call it Rambo. It's it's first blood, or at least the first part of it. Uh, if you add a couple of action beats, and I think, yeah, we we need more movies that are this like thinky uh, while they're not doing punches. Yeah, I like it. I think there's a lot there. What very, about you? Very good. Oh, shelf for sure. I mean, yeah. I love this movie. I grew up with it. I mean, you know, I have owned it. I will own it again. I would own it. It's definitely worthy of discussion. And I expected to trash this. I, I'm very excited at how good it is. Honestly, yeah. um, I would say Rambo Three is not as good, but interesting. That's what I was going to ask you both. Um, have you either of you seen all of them? Obviously, none of us have seen Last Blood. Uh, but have, I've only seen the trilogy. I, I'd say I've, I mean I've probably seen the trilogy ad nauseum as a child, gotcha. but I couldn't tell gotcha. you. I'd just be curious if there's any uh, part two. Um, there is a female character that sort of guides him back into Vietnam. To, yeah, I to, know that's the help. one where he goes to Vietnam, and the third one he goes after. She's very attractive, and I knew why. Doesn't he help the Mujahideen in Rainbow Three? In Rainbow Three, <laughs> it's about him yeah, helping the Mujahideen. He, yeah, well, he fights Russians and mm-hmm. Mujahideen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for our listeners who are not schooled on. Uh, geopolitics that Mujahideen would eventually become the Taliban. The Taliban. <laughs> so there's that. But I was going to say the the uh, his guide character is very attractive Asian Asian American actress and uh as soon as I see Tia Carrera in the 90s I was immediately like connected. <gasps> Tia Carrera is? It's not her. Oh fuck. But it, it's it's like it's her. Well, you the like, seeds it, were planted, huh? It's a, it's like lithe. I was I was really excited and thought it was Tia Carrera. No, I I developed a type. And, uh, yeah, okay. which, which, which <laughs> we don't need to talk about. How it was your, manifest. How there. your type is racist. We're gonna move on. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to be mean to Dustin. But man, I never get to be mean to you. That's true. Pot shot. Uh, it was a pot shot. It that was, was a dirty. Easy it shot. was an easy shot. High roaded you. High roading somebody, that's a cheap shot. Don't high road people. Yeah. It just makes everybody look like I think turkey. the, uh, back on point, I think the, the kind of common parlance is that one's at the top, mm-hmm. and then two drops down real low. Yeah. Okay. Three's up a little more, and then I think Rambo, the fourth installment's kind of up above three. Really? Gotcha. Below one and three. From what I, I've gathered, from what I've put together, from I reading have, some reviews and I've stuff. I've heard some people really kind of go to bat for four, yeah. but I've also heard it is comically violent. Yeah, it no, is just like checks out. grotesquely, sillily, like j- the degree to which Rambo <laughs> mutilated. Whoop, that's a cell phone. Because that's what mid two thousands. So, yeah, yeah, it's real edge lord air hours. Yeah, yeah um, real washed out uh, three hundred inspired color palettes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard there's some like weird, just like machete chops in that movie. That awesome, brutal. <laughs> yeah, you're talking me into it. Well, um, Arthur, I you wouldn't tell me i already know i've been told what we're doing next week uh you've uh you won't remind me though i won't so what are we talking about next week well we're gonna get real wacky Ooh. before we enter shocktober yeah it's coming up it's that time of the season we're gonna go beyond the stars though and we're gonna talk a little a little film from 2015 known simply as jupiter ascending Oh, oh yeah. that's right. I oh, I'm so now. happy. Yeah. This is... I'm stoked. We're running out of Wachowski movies. We have judiciously, like, uh, rationed them out throughout the run of this show. We're running a runway, boys. Now we got to go back and get Bound, which, you know... I was going to say, outside of Bound and two Matrix sequels, well, I think we've... We're done. Tapped. We're done. That's it. There's Unless no, we get into Sense8. Well, that's word. That's, that's my... TV. Oh, I haven't told you guys about my spinoff podcast. Uh, since I, I'm gonna have to workshop the title, it's just me talking about Sensei it's for the rest eight. of my life. <laughs> pot eight, that's pot eight, pot eight. Me and a rotating panel of seven guests, sense, sense cast, <laughs> talk about every episode of Sensei in order, including the finale talking movie. About hurting cats, and every time we get to the end, we just start all over again. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that would be Dalton, the eight of his friends. Oh, Jeez, I'm Dalton pro. doesn't have eight friends. <laughs> I'm just gonna go to my, yeah. It's just gonna be old seven sad, people re- he can pay. Retired sad boys performers, and yeah, and Keithan. Well, Keithan's for sad boys. It'll be Keithan, Heath Huffman, Alex Sanchez, Kirsten Thurkelson. See, I've got. I'm already all, almost there. It's just a sad boys something. podcast. Yeah, it's just a sad boys podcast where I make people watch Sensei. <laughs> it's called the Sad Eight. Repeat. Oh. Anyway, I am <laughs> the so, Grateful Eight. Uh, Jupiter, <gasps> whoa! Now that's a podcast. That is a podcast. I am so excited to watch Jupiter Ascending. Um, I didn't give it its due in theaters. I don't think I was ready for it. Uh, I was going through some stuff. I'm really excited to revisit this because it's a pretty movie, and I don't think I was ready for how dumb and silly it is. I have not seen it, and oh, I just want to. I just want to punch Eddie Redmayne. So I'm here for it. Oh, you're gonna Arthur. You're gonna love this movie. Oh yeah, because Eddie Redmayne has never been more punchable than he's ever been than in this <laughs> film, where he does this quiet little and then he does big petulant yells. You're nice. gonna love it. Um, if you are excited about Jupiter Ascending or you were excited about First Blood, you can let us know. Send your long form feedback to the show. GoodTrashGenreCast at gmail.com We are also on Twitter Although I cannot recommend anybody who's not already there uh, Join uh, It's at good underscore trash We do all kinds of dumb silly stuff over there For all the shows we make uh, Everything we've ever made uh, is on the web At uh, www.goodtrashmedia.com Go check that out well, Not everything we've made Everything Good Trash Media's made You want those early Good Trash GenreCast episodes You're going to have to go hunting for the pod bean I'm not going to tell you where to find those uh, those are iTunes. Right. Oh, damn it. Well, yeah, they're in the iTunes feed, but you got to scroll. Uh, that's it. Rate, review, subscribe. You've listened to a podcast before. You know how it's done. Uh, Dustin, you want to do the sign off? I'm not going to steal it from you. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Bye.